You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 293 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. What does freedom mean to you? Have you ever considered that question? At first glance, an easy question to answer perhaps, but if you think about it a bit more, it's not that easy to even define freedom. I want to begin this episode by letting you listen to philosopher Krishnamurti discuss freedom. What is freedom? This is the last question in the Lord. <laughs> what is freedom? You know, many philosophers have written, talked about freedom. We talk about freedom, freedom to live where we like, freedom to have any job we like, freedom to choose a woman or a man, freedom to read any literature, or freedom not to read at all. We are free. And so what do we do with that freedom? We use that freedom to express ourselves, to do what we like. Right? whatever we like. More and more it's becoming permissive. You can have sex in your garden, open garden, right? We have every kind of freedom. And what have we done with that freedom? We think choice, when we, where there is choice, we have freedom. I can go to Italy, to France, or choice, only I would have a passport and a visa. And does choice give freedom? Please follow me. Why do we have to choose? If you are very clear, clear, purely perceived, clear, there is no choice. Out of that comes right action. It's only when there is doubt, uncertainty, you begin to choose. So choice, if you'll forgive me my saying so, choice prevents freedom. And 
the totalitarian states have no freedom at all, because they have the idea that freedom brings about degeneration of man, therefore control, suppress. You follow, you know what is happening, all the rest of it. So what is freedom? Is it based on choice? Is it to do exactly what we like? Some of the psychologists are saying, if you, if you feel something, do it immediately. Don't suppress it, don't restrain it, don't control it, don't express. And we are doing that very well too. And it's called also freedom. Throwing bombs is also freedom. Right? Just look what we have reduced our freedom to. So what is freedom? Does freedom lie out there or here? I'm just asking, I'm not saying it. Where do you begin to search for freedom? In the outward world? Which is to express and do, act, whatever you like, the so-called individual freedom. Or does freedom begin inwardly, which then expresses itself intelligently outwardly? You understand? That is, freedom must begin when there is no... Freedom exists only when there is no confusion, right? Confusion inside me, when I am seeking, perhaps psychologically, religiously, not to be caught in any trap. You understand? There are innumerable traps, gurus, saviours, uh, preachers, the excellent books, psychologists and psychiatrists, they're all there. And if I'm confused and, no, and there is disorder, mustn't have first be free of that disorder, before I talk of freedom. If I have no relationship with my wife or with my husband, with my person or other, because we haven't got relationship with another. Our relationship is based on images. You have an image about me and I have an image about you. And so the conflict, which is inevitable where there is a division, 
Letztes. So, from the beginning here, inside me, in my skin, in my mind, in my heart, to be totally free of all the fears and anxieties, despairs, hurts and wounds that one has received through some psychic disorder. You follow all that, to watch it for oneself and be free of it. But apparently we haven't got the energy. We go to another to give us energy. The psychiatrist gives us, by talking to him, you feel much more relieved, you follow the confession and all the rest of it. Always depending on somebody else. And so that dependence inevitably brings great conflict, disorder. So one has to begin to understand the depth and the greatness of freedom, one must begin quite near. And the nearest is you. As long as there is you and me, there is no freedom. As long as you have your prejudice and my prejudice, your experience, my etc., etc., so on, so on, there is no freedom. We can express. We can criticize each other. We can do all that. That's what's called freedom. The right to think what you like. But the freedom, real, the greatness of freedom and the enormity, the dignity, the beauty of it, is when in oneself and there is completely order. And that order comes only when there we are light to ourselves. I hope you got something out of that, or maybe even further questions, which is always a good thing. But what about rights? I mean, what does rights mean to you? What rights do you feel that you have? Because rights is connected to freedom, in a sense, at least in society, you know, the right to freedom, for instance. I want to play a short uh, bit by comedian George Carlin, and although this might have an American perspective, what he says really concerns any country that claim its citizens have rights. Boy, everyone in this country is always running around yammering about their fucking rights. I have a right, you have no right, we have a right, they don't have a right. Folks, I hate to spoil your fun, but there's no such thing as rights, okay? They're imaginary. We made them up, like the boogeyman. The Three Little Pigs, Pinocchio, Mother Goose, shit like that. Rights are an idea. They're just imaginary. They're a cute idea. Cute. But that's all cute and fictional. But if you think you do have rights, let me ask you this. Where do they come from? People say, well, they come from God. They're God-given rights. Oh, fuck, here we go again. Here we go again. The God excuse. The last refuge of a man with no answers and no argument. It came from God. Anything we can't describe must have come from God. Personally, folks, I believe that if your rights came from God, he would have given you the right to some food every day, and he would have given you the right to a roof over your head. God would have been looking out for you. 
He wouldn't have been worried about making sure you have a gun so you could get drunk on Sunday night and kill your girlfriend's parents. But let's say it's true. Let's say God gave us these rights. Why would he give us a certain number of rights? The Bill of Rights in this country has 10 stipulations, okay? 10 rights. And apparently God was doing sloppy work that week because we've had to amend the Bill of Rights an additional 17 times. So God forgot a couple of things like slavery. Just fucking slipped his mind. But let's say, let's say God gave us the original 10. He gave the British 13. The British Bill of Rights has 13 stipulations. The Germans have 29. The Belgians have 25. The Swedish have only six. And some people in the world have no rights at all. What kind of a fucking goddamn God-given deal is that? No rights at all? Why would God give different people in different countries different numbers of different rights? Boredom? Amusement? Bad arithmetic? Do we find out at long last, after all this time, that God is weak in math skills? Doesn't sound like divine planning to me. Sounds more like human planning. Sounds more like one group trying to control another group. In other words, business as usual in America. Now, if you think you do have rights, one last assignment for you. Next time you're at the computer, get on the internet, go to Wikipedia. When you get to Wikipedia, in the search field for Wikipedia, I want you to type in Japanese Americans 1942, and you'll find out all about your precious fucking rights, okay? All right. You know about it. You know about it. Yeah. In 1942, there were 110,000 Japanese American citizens and good standing, law abiding people who were thrown into internment camps simply because their parents were born in the wrong country. That's all they did wrong. They had no right to a lawyer, no right to a fair trial, no right to a jury of their peers, no right to due process of any kind. The only right they had, right this way into the internment camps. Just when these American citizens needed their rights the most, their government took them away. And rights aren't rights if someone can take them away. They're privileges. That's all we've ever had in this country is a bill of temporary privileges. And if you read the news even badly, you know that every year the list gets shorter and shorter and shorter. Sooner or later, the people in this country are going to realize the government does not give a fuck about them. Government doesn't care about you or your children or your rights or your welfare or your safety. It simply doesn't give a fuck about you. It's interested in its own power. That's the only thing, keeping it and expanding it wherever possible. Personally, when it comes to rights, I think one of two things is true. I think either we have unlimited rights or we have no rights at all. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. Okay, so now we've looked at freedom, we've looked at rights, and now I want to play a 10-minute interview with an ex-KGB agent called Yuri Besmenov, recorded in 1984, but it could not be more relevant today. I find this interesting, especially what he says about leftist ideologies and how they are only a pawn in the game of control. Yet the leftists themselves believe they push the moral agenda forward. Sounds familiar? 
Towards the end he talks about the last stage of control which is the propaganda that makes everyone think everything is normal or as we today call it the new normal. So this clip is highly relevant I think and for somebody like me who is neither left nor right I've noticed in the last few years that the left has become a bit right, a bit righty and the right has become a bit more lefty. It's weird. Anyway, here's ex-KGB agent Yuri Besmenov. Simply because, you see, the useful idiots, the, the leftists who are idealistically believing in the beauty of Soviet socialist or communist or whatever system, when they get disillusioned, they become the worst enemies. That's why my KGB instructors specifically made the point, never bother with leftists. Forget about these political prostitutes. Aim higher. This was my instruction. Try to get into, into uh, large circulation established conservative media. Reach, filthy rich movie makers, intellectuals, so-called academic circles. Cynical, egocentric people who can look into your eyes with angelic expression and tell you a lie. These are the most recruitable people, people who lack moral principles, who are either too greedy or to uh, suffer from self-importance. Uh, they feel that uh, they, they matter a lot. Uh, these are the people who KGB wanted very much to recruit. But also, to eliminate the others, to execute the others, don't they serve some purpose? Wouldn't they be the no, ones they, they rely they on? They serve purpose only at the stage of destabilization of a nation. For example, your leftists in, in United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are, non, they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when, when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the process which is legitimate, overt, and open. You, you can see it with your own eyes. All, all you have to do, all American mass media has to do, is to unplug their bananas from their ears, open up their eyes, and they can see it. There is no mystery. There is nothing to do with espionage. I know that espionage intelligence gathering looks more romantic. It sells more deodorants through the advertising, probably. That's why your Hollywood producers are so crazy about James Bond type of, of thrillers. But in reality, the main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of its intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money, and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing 
process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result, the result you can see, most of the people who graduated in the 60s, dropouts or half-baked intellectuals, are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them. They are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind, even if you, if you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is, uh, is black, you still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. To get rid of society of these people, you, have, you need another 20 or, or, or 15 years to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and, and, and uh, common, common sense people who would be acting in favor and in the interests of, of, the, uh, of the United States society. And yet these people who have been programmed and, as you say, in place and yes. who are favorable to an opening with the Soviet concept, mm -hmm. these are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country? Most of them, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock when, when they will see in future what the, what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, Obviously, they will revolt. They, 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 will, uh, they, they will be very unhappy, frustrated people. And the Marxist-Leninist regime does not tolerate these people. Uh, they, obviously, they will join the links of dissenters, mm -hmm. dissidents. Yes. Uh, unlike in present United States, there will be no place for dissent in, in future Marxist-Leninist America. Uh, here you can, you can get... Uh, popular like uh, Daniel Ellsberg and filthy rich like Jane Fonda for being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. This they don't understand and uh, it will be greatest shock for them, of course. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, Actually, it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it. 
until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. So basically America is stuck with, with demoralization and unless, even if, if you start right now, here, this minute, you start educating new generation of Americans, it will still take you 15 to 20 years to turn the tide of, uh, of ideological perception of reality uh, back to normal, no, normalcy and, and uh, patriotism. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense, an economy. Uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis to promise people all kinds of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with uh, benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. He will go to Moscow to kiss the bottoms of, of new generation of Soviet assassins, never mind. He will create false illusions that the uh, situation is under control. Situation is not under control. Situation is disgustingly out of control. Most of the American politicians, media and educational system trains another generation of people who think they are living at a peacetime. False. United States is in the state of war. Undeclared total war against the basic principles and the foundations of, of this system. Uh, instead of telling you the point of this episode, or instead of me giving you a uh, summary, I've played you Krishnamurti, I've played you George Carlin, and I've played you an ex-KGB agent called Yuri Besmanov. And if you listen carefully, and you combine all the things you heard, I'm sure you will hear what I heard. And let's leave it at that. Now please consider supporting me by searching for Natural Alchemist channel on YouTube and hitting that subscribe button or liking the videos or dropping a comment. It helps a lot and it costs you nothing. Also please follow the podcast in social media. Natural Born Alchemist or Born Alchemist just search and ye shall find. And if you feel especially frisky why not leave a nice review on iTunes.
There is only one way I can end this episode and that's with the golden gospel singers and the song Oh Freedom. Freedom is in the mind. Oh freedom. Oh freedom. Oh, we.